Welcome to the Lively Joy Podcast. Learn how to live your best life with host Sherry McDonald. She believes that every person has the right to be healthy and have a life that they love. Sherry, along with her guest, will help you live your best life by talking about everything from the latest health topics, how to find your passion, longevity, so you can live your best life longer, shifting your mindset, and more. And now, your host, Sherry. Hey friends, welcome to Lively Joy. I would love to tell you that last night I went out to this concert and had a great time screaming, yelling, and and lost my voice, but I have a cold. (laughs) Our guest today is Brian Nell, and he is an acupuncturist. He is actually my acupuncturist. I've been to several before, and I really like Brian. Um, he, He actually does a different type. It's Japanese acupuncture. He stays with you in the room the whole time, which is a first um, of any, you know, sessions that I've ever had. And he constantly adjusts the needles depending on what he's finding in your body. Brian is a wealth of knowledge and um, let's get started. Well, hi, Brian. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sherry. Yeah, this is a a very interesting topic. I'm one of eight Americans who were trained by blind people in Kyoto, Osaka, and Oita, Japan. I learned acupuncture from blind people. That feels very weird to say. (laughs) Uh, What they taught me was very, very different from school. Uh, You know, you go to medical school or you go to oriental medical school or you go to osteopath or you go to massage therapy school or any number of healing modalities and you, you take these tests and you get grades and you get out and you have to start your own clinic and really you have to start all over. You have to remember the basics that they taught you so you do no harm, but then when your treatments are not effective and you're not helping people that are coming to you and paying money, you have to start to learn another way. And what I did was very unique. I started to learn that right away. I was a patient for two years and then four years of grad school. And in that time, I found this very wise man named Koei Kuohara, who brought Japanese acupuncture to the United States and was trained by a blind man named Fukushi Makoto. And right away, when I met him and when I began to learn from him, It was like remembering something. It wasn't like learning something new. It was as if I had done it before. It came very natural. It came very easy to me. And I started to touch people's pulses and I started to see pictures. (laughs) It's very strange to say, but then you become more accurate and you begin to see symptoms or it's like seeing a hologram does that make sense yeah sure and and like the photos in your book like the photos in the book and Uh, i'll I'll put the link to your book thank you in the show notes yeah so when seeing something like that i've learned to stop and to listen and really pay attention and then to ask questions uh it borders on using more intuition than using intellect and intellect will help you to pass a test and get a license but intuition to the japanese is the most uh most sincere and superior form of intelligence we don't tend to encourage that nowadays and i've i've actually heard that intuition that everyone has has it it's just most people don't use it most people don't use it or they the rational intellectual mind tells them not to. That's probably more true. That's not exactly living your best life. Um, There has to be an equal balance between intellect and intuition. And we have to learn to listen to that. Uh, I really like to think that that's your soul communicating to you. When you have an intuitive sense, where do you feel it? Do you feel it in your body? Do you feel it in your mind? Do you feel it in your heart? Like, where do you feel it? For me, I actually feel a pressure on the top of my head where my crown chakra is. And I literally have 
a voice tell me what to do. So when you're working on someone, you you get that. Mm -hmm. It comes from the crown chakra, basically, yeah. What Kuhara called it was divine knowing. Okay. That you could have a divine knowing about a person and know like, oh, this lady has endometriosis. And then you would go and touch a point like spleen six, which is for menstrual pain, menstrual irregularity, cramps, clots that are bigger than a dime, also for lymphocytes. So you could reduce it on somebody with leukemia, or you could use it to build white blood cells if they're going through chemotherapy and they're weak. There's only 364 more points that we can talk about, but uh, <laughs> spleen six is a really, really, really big one. Um, Where is spleen six? So it's just right above the ankle, about four finger breadths and right behind the bone. And it's tender on just about everybody. It's really tender with people with swollen prostates. It's tender with people with endometriosis. It's a urogenital point and it connects to three different meridians simultaneously. It connects to your spleen, your kidney, and your liver. And it's a big honking point. A lot of people use it in their treatments. Um, you can treat it with a needle. You can treat it with a moxa. Uh, and it has different energetics. It has different therapeutic value. That's just one way that we can increase our health. Uh, I like to teach people to needle themselves or to treat themselves if their case is really bad. Uh, I had this wonderful lady named Jackie. She had five fibroid tumors. That's a lot of fibroid tumors and she wanted to become a mom. She wanted to have a baby and everybody was pushing her to have, uh, you know, have her uterus removed. Oh, wow. And I remember a really nice lady, uh, Joyce, had sent her to me as kind of like a last hope. And I was very sincere. Uh, my intuition told me five years, one year for each fibroid to fix her. And it took me five and a half years and now she has a baby girl and Aww. she has no fibroids, but it took time and it took patience and it took weekly visits. Does it usually take that long to, if someone comes in and says, you know, I have this issue, it probably just depends on what it is and how long they've had it. Well, that's a great oh. question because when we were in Japan, I remember the group always asking, how long does it take to fix something? And Americans really want to know, uh, <laughs> and they want to be in charge of things like how long to fix I IBS, how long to fix asthma, how long to fix, uh, spondylolisthesis and the answer is different for every person because when you leave i have no idea how you're living your life do you talk about lifestyle mm -hmm. with people and because that's you're right that's so right no matter what you know like even in my business as a personal trainer life coach you know when they leave me if they're going to go home and eat bad they're never going to lose weight they're never going to reach their goals so yeah it it's, it's that's t that's a tough one that's a very, very difficult one because choice is the central vehicle through which we grow. If you ever read Gary Zukov's The Seed of the Soul, it's a great book. Uh, his chapter on choice was one of the finest chapters I've ever read on any book. It's actually Oprah Winfrey's favorite book. Uh, and, the ch and the chapter on temptation will blow your mind as well. That's a phenomenally written chapter. Um, he says that choice is the central way through which we grow. And you can talk health till the cows come home with somebody, but they have to go home and they have to make the choice. I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to eat sugar. I'm going to do intermittent fasting or, or, you know, they have to make these choices, which is really, if you want to get down to it, isn't that will? What, you know, it's, it's what makes someone, you know, you, you don't see someone for like two or three months and you look at them and they're, they've really changed their whole life. What makes them come to that point where they all of a sudden say, I'm going to do it this time and they do it. You Have know? you discovered how rare that is? Oh yeah. Because I, myself, I'm the same way. I'm like, I'm not going to eat sugar. And then, you know, two days later I'm eating sugar again. And then it's, it's a cycle, you know, it's over and over and over. I, I think every human being on some level or another is dealing with a saboteur inside. Yeah. People sabotage their happiness. 
people sabotage their health. And you have to confront that with acts of courage. Now, I'm not advocating that you jump out of an airplane. <laughs> that's, that's an act of Good. insanity <laughs> and courage simultaneously. But confronting ourselves that's courageous. Confronting our choices. Um, I don't know why so many people have to grow through tragedy. But I think that seems to be the garden variety thing that wakes people up. Mm. I don't know why. I would rather deal with the things that I don't like about myself rather than have the universe crush me with it. Yeah. I'd rather I, I look know. at it. Yeah, you're right. Because I, even if it's a surgery or it's an accident or something, that's a setback, right? Mm. Um, and to, and to embrace a holistic model, our choices are about how we nurture or punish ourselves. So I, encouragement and saying positive statements to people of, I know you're, you can do this. Trying to reaffirm the positive into their unconscious whether you're using a needle, whether you're using statements, or whether you're just reinforcing behavior, that is at the heart of it. Like the word physician means teacher. <laughs> and we've gotten so far away from teaching. What we've done is just supplement with pharmaceuticals or supplement with different things. And we think that we can cheat death. That's not true. Uh, in order for you to maintain your stamina, uh, your genetics, your choices, you have to take an honest look at yourself and look at your, uh, your strengths and your weaknesses. And what better way than to have a long-term relationship to have someone to point those out to you? Yeah. Uh, or family will point things out, and that may or may not be so accurate. Uh, they can have their biases, but I've learned I had to listen to my partner when she told me I was acting like a fool. Even if I didn't want to listen, I've learned that I have to listen. And I've learned that I had to acknowledge every human being has a shadow. And when the shadow is running the show, we do things that go against the grain of our own morality. We do things that cause us disappointment and your darkness exists for a purpose it exists to protect you from harm that's a correct role uh, when the shadow is running the show and you have diabetes and you're eating sugar that's causing destruction and so many people are on that wheel so what I love about acupuncture is it can kind of turn that off for a while. It can put them in tune with their body, put them back inside their body. Or if you're really good, it can make them communicate and listen to their soul. Um, I have a question before I forget. You were just a while ago, you were talking about the, the, the person that had the fibroids mm -hmm. and um, that you gave her, you sometimes give people needles to use on themselves. Yeah. Could you use acupressure? What do you think about acu acupressure for people that, um, you I know, mean, first of all, when you're doing acupressure and you find a really hot spot, it feels like a bruise, doesn't it? Yes. It's yeah. painful. Yeah. Uh, there was a young man in here the other day who had torn his Achilles tendon. That's terribly painful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a point on your wrist that is a reflection of that. And I just taught him to massage there and it hurts so bad. And he, he winced in pain just when I touched it and showed him what to do. But his mom just wrote me this morning and said he ran for the first time without pain. He stretched, he worked the point, and he ran without pain. That's nice when yeah. that happens. Yeah. That's really good. Um, and it's good that you educate people like that so they can carry on, they can do it outside of here. Well, there's a limit to sure. seeing, I mean, there's a limit to what you can do with a client in an hour. Mm -hmm. There's a limit to what you can do if you see him once a week or twice a week. Um, in my case, once a month. In that time, the best thing that you can do is find out 
what's really blocked in their life. And, and by that, I mean the flow of life force, right? Where there's pain, there's a blockage of life force. Where something is not functioning, there's a blockage of life force. I just treated a man who had three stints, but yeah, that's a blockage at a physical level, right? Yeah. Can't breathe, put in the stint, he can breathe. His heart's doing better. Uh, now he's on Plavix. Now he's on blood thinners. Now he has all these other problems compounded on it. And he's a smart man. He's an intelligent man. He has a degree in uh, mechanical engineering and he has another degree in massage therapy. He's not a dumb man. And he knows if he stays on that medication for a long time, he could have serious problems. So in that space, uh, learning Chinese herbology, learning supplements, learning to give good advice or to teach the things that we have seen work. That's what a physician is. It's not a drug pusher. It's not a surgeon. A physician is a teacher. And they don't do that because they don't have time and they're not educated in that way. A lot of times, like as far as nutrition, well, is that a financial model or is that a healing model? That's not a healing model for sure. In my opinion, in your experience. Yes. Right. Yeah. Cause really our opinions are formed from experience. And if we've had a bad negative doctor visit or dentist visit or whatever, <laughs> there, there are many examples. Uh, we teach what we've experienced. We share what we've experienced. I think the people who've gone through incredible suffering start looking for answers not only for themselves, but so that other people don't have to suffer. That's what brought me to this. I had a terrible final year in college. I developed IBS. I was really angry, really upset. I had custody of three brothers while I was finishing my senior year. And I was living with my grandparents because my grandmother had had both knees replaced and my grandfather had gone into a diabetic coma. And just the weight and the stress of trying to finish school and take care of everyone else, I blew a gasket. I got very sick. And I went to the doctor and they said, you have to have an upper GI and a lower GI. And they found nothing. I can remember they had given me medication that three months later was taken off the market for killing people. And I just felt like they had failed me on so many levels. I actually gained 25 pounds from taking that medication. Wow. And I, I was just like, you know, I want something else. And so my soul said to me acupuncture and I went, that's crazy. <laughs> it was my intellect saying that's crazy. And here I am practicing this medicine. I went to this lovely lady named Lonnie Lee in Clintonville who wore leopard spandex pants and covered her mouth when she laughed and actually was an attorney before she became an acupuncturist. And I went to her every Saturday for two years for treatment to get that under control. And I had, she had me to no symptoms. And I remember the first time that I walked out of her office, I was really cold when I walked in because it was winter. And I walked out without my coat and I wasn't cold. And I remember walking to my car going, I'm going to do this the rest of my life. And I ended up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, studying acupuncture. And I met this really wonderful group of friends. And they were all studying Japanese style outside of school. So when you go to acupuncture school, there's Chinese medicine. And that's all that's taught in the United States. And... That's where they put needles in you and they leave the room. Yeah. And they don't check the abdomen. They don't really check the pulse. They don't really teach pulse. They teach qualities in the pulse, whether it's floating or deep, slow or fast, slippery or wiry. And that's not true pulse diagnosis. So what I learned was taking pulse was like seeing a blank screen. Like my mind was a blank screen. And the person was the projector and they projected images 
And I'd go, oh, did you have a root canal? Or, oh, you have earache? Or, you have a headache here? Or, you have a herniated disc? Or, do you have sciatica? And I found out I was probably 80, 85% active. And a lot of times you could see stuff before it happened. Here lately, I've been noticing when the lung is deficient and the pericardium is excessive, I'll ask if someone died. Most of the time, somebody will start crying and say, you know, my aunt died or my mom died or... So you can begin to see patterns, and that's not taught in school. What they teach you is uh, called Zongfu diagnosis, which is not the original medicine. That's what the communists came up with. There's a book called Tracing the Dragon's Tail uh, in Japan, and he talks about the theory that they teach in America doesn't work. It's all herbal theory. Hmm. And I, I get all these people complaining, you know, my treatments don't work. So I'll run a study group and I'll teach what I learned in Japan. And I forget what this seems like to people. The idea that you can touch and feel whether an acupuncture point is alive. That seems so normal to me, but uh, I see my students struggle with it. So you have to learn a language and you have to learn to communicate in a way that they'll understand. And then you have to actually, with your presence, awaken their conscious. And that's as simple as uh, resonance. You know, that's like music. You know, if you, if you strike uh, a 440 hertz tuning fork next to another one, they'll, they'll vibrate. So on some level, you have to vibrate with the teacher. And uh, that's the same as when you're trying to teach your students how to do this stretch, how to do this exercise. You've got to learn from, you've got to vibe with me. Uh, really, really good teachers can awaken your consciousness. You know, you're the only person I've ever been to, an acu the only acupuncture person that's ever stayed in the room. They usually put the needles in, they leave and they come back, but you stay and you check and you're checking pulses and you're checking and you're moving things around the whole time. And I, I'm really glad you explained that to me because I really didn't know the difference. Treatment to me should be dynamic and fluid. I mean, you put a needle inside someone, things should change. If they didn't, your treatment's wrong or you got your diagnosis wrong. Uh, so what I was taught to do is always taking the pulse like biofeedback and then I'm touching points or I'm needling points and I'm checking is it creating the reaction that I want? And what I'm looking for is smoothness, right? If our energy or our life is stuck or stagnant, just get it moving. Same thing when people are wanting to train, pain makes them stagnant. So you have to work, right? You have to walk, you have to stretch, you have to do yoga, you have to do these exercises to get rid of the pain or to manage the pain or to make your, your body stronger. Acupuncture works on the same premise, although the premise is a little more spiritual, in my opinion. Uh, the emotions that we use are like a fuel that we burn too much. You know how you can get stuck on a pattern of emotion? Yeah. That will really, really zap an organ. Best example I can give because we're in fall, is the lungs. Do you remember the head coach of Penn State football, Joe Paterno? No. He was a very, very famous man, coached into his 80s, and there was a, a big scandal at Penn State uh, with one of his assistant coaches named Jerry Sandusky. It made national news, and Jerry Sandusky turned out to be a pedophile. And he's in jail permanently for the things that he did. Joe Paterno was 82 years old and in perfect health. The scandal broke out and he said, I should have done something, meaning he knew and he didn't put an end to it. And the grief and the guilt. Yeah. A couple months later, he dies of lung cancer. Grief yeah. really saps the lungs. You could see a direct correlation between oriental medicine and the cause of that man's death. So if you've had, you know, a few of the family members die or close friends die, is, 
and you don't really, you feel like you're over it. Is it still in there? And unless you do something is. to get it out, I can or? tell if it is. Yeah. But you know what? I, a little bit of grief is okay. It helps us to understand each other. It's when something becomes a pattern, right? Right. When it becomes a repeat pattern and it drags on, that's what really zaps us. We have incorrect use of our emotions when we stay stuck in one emotional state for too long. Now you're getting into more mind-body stuff. Yeah, so say like, um, I think a big one that I've noticed lately in people is fear. Uh -huh. And that's when the kidneys, correct? So the, the kidneys, kidneys. And, and bladder mm -hmm. winter element. So um, what would someone, you know, that that'll has... lead to a herniated disc. And, and let's go a little bit further. The, the virtue of that element uh, is the correct use of our will. When people are afraid, what are they really afraid of? Mostly, I figure they're afraid of change. Isn't that what causes people the most fear is the unknown. So that will show up as the kidney being empty and others being excessive. Um, that'll show up as hypothyroid or low endocrine system. When we've been so afraid, I had an aunt who was very, very afraid and she ended up with osteoporosis very early in life and she kept getting kidney infections or she would urinate blood oh, wow. and she was just very fearful she was always afraid of getting sick she was always afraid of her gifts uh she was very psychic and very afraid of it and that was her religion that made her feel that way and told her that this was bad and it was really sad because she was a dear, sweet person. She she had a kindness to her, but she was also so afraid that I, I remember she she would hide when people would come to the door. You have to be really honest with yourself. That is a state of fear and paranoia when you're laying underneath the window and you don't want to answer the door to your own home. Yeah, that's scary. Yes, that's very yeah. fearful. So I, I know I have a friend who is afraid to fly. They're afraid of when COVID was going on, they were, they wouldn't go out of the house. They scrubbed everything that they brought into the house oh. and they're everything in their life. They're very fearful. What, what do you do with a person like that? I mean, in acupuncture, you just work on the, those points. Those, those people are usually one of two patterns. They're either fearful or controlling that's either metal or water and people who are very controlling have lung and large intestine issues and they tend to be the type of people who always use antimicrobial or they put uh oh god what have we seen and they will wear their mask and gloves in the car and no one else is in the car yeah that's really yeah that's either you're really afraid or you're really in control and they have to exert some kind of control. You know, the correct balanced energy of the kidney is caution and wisdom. Incorrect. Like if you're excessive, you'll be reckless and you'll take chances. Hmm. Deficient, you'll be afraid. So you need a balance there. <laughs> Everything is about looking for balance, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, whether it's diet or sleep or mm -hmm. lifestyle. Um, if I if I look at the correct virtue of the lungs is being inspired. If I look at the deficiency, it's so much grief and empathy that it turns to sorrow. If I look at excess, greed. The Chinese character depicts it as a greedy merchant who would not share with others. You're beginning to think of other people, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny because when you when you hear, you know, a lot of the, the different elements in Chinese medicine and you know the excess and deficient, you always think of people or yourself, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times and every hoarder I've we ever all treated. Have imbalances, you know, every either. hoarder I ever treated was excess in the lungs. They hold on to things. 
And funny enough, like the lungs or the metal element controls the opening and closing of the pores, opening and closing of the urethra or the, the nose and the portals of the body. What happens when someone has to be in control? They become constipated, don't they? It's very funny how, you know, you begin to look at things. You, you can look at it intellectually, but really, if you look at things from an, an intuitive and a spiritual perspective, you begin to see patterns. And you begin to go, oh, that's just her pattern or his pattern. And we fall into patterns. And COVID created a whole new pattern. Yeah, sure did. I'm probably treating 20 people right now who are divorcing their spouse after 20, 30 years. And I called this two years ago. I said, this being locked down with no mm. escape or no outlet will lead to divorces. And now I'm finally seeing it. And, you know, in that case, the court is so backed up, it'll take two years to get divorced now. So I'm seeing so many people who, I, I don't know what, maybe you'll have some insight on this. Is it a midlife crisis or is it a midlife awakening? Probably a combination. Did you have anything like that? Did anything like that happen to you? No, not really. No, I, I went th through COVID. I went through a bad time because I lost four family members in that hmm. starting of January before COVID and then in the middle of COVID and I went through a lot of stress. So it was just a two years of craziness. And, um, you know, so COVID was, it wasn't only COVID in, in, in my, in my world and, mm. you know, being closed down my business, it was also a lot of uh, grief and, and trouble. And so, so now, and, and I don't think I have any clients that I think have had that problem. I think, I think it's, you know, a lot of times people that, go somewhere and they train and, and they, they have a lifestyle that's more um, active and fit, then they can handle it a little bit better because, you know, because they do something, even though they're locked in their house or there's the outlet. Yes. You have to have a passion. You have to have, you know, an activity, you have to have something that you do. And I think, I think passion is one of the, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I've been thinking about this because I went to do a whole podcast on passion, but mm. I feel like if you don't have a passion, like my mother-in-law's like, she's almost 80 and she retired when she was 70 and okay. she was in the medical field and she loved it. And when she quit her life, even though she does art and she's very, yeah. she's, she draws and paints and, but it's, it's still not a passion. It's still, I mean, it's a purpose, I would yeah. say. You know, she really misses work. And I said, go back and volunteer. Sure. Go, you know, do something in the medical field and volunteer. But I think people like that, they, they almost give up. And, you know, they don't. There's inspiration. They're lost. Right. If we're not inspired, then we're mentally flat. Yeah. And then the emotions get flat. Uh, I learned probably in 2012, I learned a standing meditation called Santi. And that taught me to release tension in my body. And that true strength was through relaxation rather than tension. And that stayed with me for the last 10 years and allowed me to actively engage my nervous system so that I could stand nine hours a day and treat people without getting exhausted. I only would do something like that if I was inspired by it, okay. if I saw the benefit. Yeah. Uh, People see the benefit or they don't. That's the beauty of it. Uh, I don't last a long time with somebody who doesn't feel the benefit. Uh, I'm very quick to say I like to be on the team. But uh, when I remember we were in Japan. We were in Kyoto. And we were asking this genius named Tetsuo Shiomi, you know, how long do you have to treat something? And, you know, all these people were saying, you know, one month of treatment for every year that you had a disease. And people were just guessing. They were just guessing. And he said the moment that they were inspired was when your treatment was done. Because really what you're doing is you're trying to create a real inspiring session. You're trying to remind them what health is like.
I'm not making it different. I'm just reminding them, hey, this is what it feels like when your liver is balanced and your blood pressure is balanced. This is what it feels like when you're not angry. This is what it feels like in your natural state. And then the redness is gone from their face and their shoulders relax and they're not fuming angry and they're not complaining about their spouse because their liver is in a state of harmony. And at that point in time, they're even keel. How long does it last? Right? Because life comes along. Uh, I've had to start telling people that they can't listen to politics anymore. Yeah, I don't watch the news and I, I can't. Don't. Yeah, I can't. There are some people it will actually kill them. I've, I've developed a new phrase for it. I call it fear porn because it really makes people afraid mm -hmm. of the future. It makes people feel like they're not in control. And the reality is you don't have the money, power, or influence to control any of that. Yeah. But it comes back to what we started talking about was our choices. You can choose not to engage that. Uh, in fact, my new patented observation to people, whether they're Democrat or Republican, is to say, we all have to work together. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is a lot to, you know, I, and, and, you know, why can't we, if it's never happened, it's never going to happen, but, you know, why does there, why do we have to be so divided? Why can't we work together? Well, you know, if you look at the topics that they choose, aren't they divide and conquer topics? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can think of no bigger one than abortion mm -hmm. that divides people right down the middle. Right. And that's been used as a wedge to drive people, you know, Trump was another very divisive topic. I saw people during that period of time stop going to Thanksgiving with their families. And then you throw in COVID and they really, have, I've got people who haven't seen their families in four years because they're holding a grudge. Yeah. The mask was another divide and conquer topic. The vaccine was another divide and conquer mm -hmm. topic. And it's very effective. Yeah. You almost have to not talk about it with people. Because wow. it, I have clients that talk about stuff and I just change the subject because I'm to. not going to go there because my opinion's totally opposite theirs. So I'm not going to get in this really, you know, divide and conquer. Exactly. I'm not going to do it. So and I just that, change the subject because that doesn't, I can't do it. That doesn't help anyone live their best life. No, it doesn't. Um, I, I think what I've always tried to do is I've always tried to remind people we want the same thing. And some people will be smart ass with me and say, well, what's that? And I said, a better world for our children. Yeah. We all want that. Yeah. And that will tend to shut it off for a little while. But I think people are addicted to that, uh, that drama and I'm just not into it. I've got another patient in the waiting room. <laughs> right? yeah. I've got someone else who needs me to make a difference at a critical juncture in their life. And I can't be talking about the things that I disagree with. Yeah. Um, if there is anything I was ever ashamed of, it was participating in those conversations, those really negative conversations because patients will vent and I'll let them <laughs> vent. And I might even reinforce so that they feel that they've been empathized with and I can hold a totally different opinion, but allow them to because if they're not seen and heard, I'm not as effective. Hmm. There's many layers of healing, right? There's emotional healing, there's physical healing, there's spiritual healing. There's many, many layers. And I'm interested in all of that in a session. I want people's emotions to become smooth. I want them to feel like spirit has come into their life and is moving through them rather than for them to feel disconnected. So many people feel disconnected and uninspired. And I tell them, turn off the news. Yeah. That's the best advice you can give, I think, you know, but at this people, point, they, they won't, you know, I mean, some people, they just, I just remember it's like their life. They just can't get away from it. I remember being told that Saddam Hussein has weapons of mass destruction. And then that was not true. And I remember forming that opinion of there's no credibility to this anymore. I've got to stop. 
I've got to stop being informed and I have to start looking inside mm -hmm. for answers. So I started learning standing meditations. I started learning Wu style Tai Chi. That really helps. That now, really do helps. Do you teach Tai Chi, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I do. I love to teach that. That's the same as doing acupuncture to me. It's creating a movement of energy inside someone's body. What's different is acupuncture is from the outside in. Teaching Tai Chi is teaching someone to wake up from the inside out. So what is different, because I do Qigong, the, I know the basic Tai Chi, what that's about. The Tai Chi that you teach, is it more like Tai Chi or is it more like Qigong? Um, God, that's a great question. So there's three forms of Tai Chi. There's Chen, Yang, and Wu. I've studied all three of them. Chen was the original. That's more of a martial art. Yang is the one that everybody practices in the park, and it seems really beautiful and flowing. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Uh, Wu in Chinese means shaman. And Wu is the most internal and the most Qigong-like. Uh, so you'll do a posture and you'll hold it the way you would Qigong. Like Qigong will open a meridian. And if you, if you really nail the teacher down, they'll say, these are Qigong postures. But there's a movement and a transition from one to the next. It just so happens to be really good as a martial art form. But when I practice, I practice so that I feel points and meridians open. I practice so that I feel my organs. I practice so that I flush everybody's negative story out of me. Because for nine hours a day, people are venting to me and, and telling me horrible things. Mm. Uh, that's not the part that you're ever really prepared for is uh, how much your clients will confide in you. Yeah. You're thinking, hey, I was just going to teach you this one thing. And next thing you know, you're a marriage counselor. <laughs> yeah. All of yeah. a sudden. And it's hard not to get involved in it because you, you know you, you have your opinion and but you you know it, listening is the best thing that we can do as practitioners and yeah you know and, and just listen to somebody because like you said they need to vent and it helps them to heal when they're talking about it maybe they don't have anybody to talk to about it but yeah it, that's a difficult one yeah I, what's the craziest thing a client ever told you that really caught you off guard Oh, I can't, I can't even think right now, but I've, I mean, we've, I'm sure there's <laughs> because been some good ones. The trainers would come to me every now and then and say, you know, what do I, what I do? This person's telling me this, you know, but, um, you know, I don't, I, I couldn't tell you right now, but I once took someone's pulse and I knew they had HIV. Wow. And he had hid it from everyone. And there was a moment of honesty where he said, how did you get that? So he, he knew, but he didn't, he had no, he knew, told anybody. but uh, he had so much guilt mm -hmm. over it and he couldn't tell anyone. He was afraid of everyone's judgment. Yeah. I'm glad that's changing. That needed to change. It really did. Uh, Michael passed away and he died and that was tough. Uh, the way he, he died was very horrible. Uh, seeing that and blurting that out, I think opened up the floodgate for him right before he died to say, yeah, uh, I think he had hidden a part of himself for a very, very long time. And that's tough for people. That's very, very tough. Um, I have people that confess to me that they're having affairs and I really think, well, why are you telling me this? <laughs> uh, but I think that when someone's in a state of vulnerability and their ego barriers are down, they start to become more honest. Mm -hmm. They start to become more truthful, maybe with themselves even. Uh, what really excites me is when someone owns their stuff. Yeah. When they say, I, I did this instead of blaming someone else. Right. 
that's really living your best life. That's actually doing the work. That's actually owning your stuff. Those people, I really, I find inspiration in them. Meeting them and knowing them is really cool. Yeah. Those are rare people, but I really like them. There was this wonderful lady named Brenda who I treated for two years. She was left at the altar. Oh, wedding sorry. dress, the whole nine yards. Oh. And he flipped out and ran away. And she was drinking Crown and Coke every day. And uh, at the end of two years, the treatments that I had done to her liver made her vomit profusely if she had alcohol. Oh, wow. That'd make you want to stop. <laughs> it did make her stop. <laughs> she came in and she was yelling at me and was mad with me and said that she couldn't drink Crown and Coke anymore. And I said, think of all the money I saved you. <laughs> and being a practical woman, she was like, well, I never thought of it that way. Uh, think of how much better your liver is going to be if you're not bludgeoning it with alcohol every day. Exactly. And that, that led to her being much, much happier, much better. It's good. How much does visualization have in, um, because I feel it's very important in your treatment. Do you ever talk I do. about that? Yeah. I, I'll tell people to focus on a particular body part or a, a color or a visualization, especially if they're talking too much. There are some people who just want to be chatty Kathy and talk the entire hour. Typically they have ADHD. Mm, that would be me. Typically. <laughs> no. So then you can go to spleen one and you can put a gold press ball there, mm. which is like the premier ADHD point. And all of a sudden mm. they stop talking. You can sedate them. If you know what you're doing, if you don't know what a point does, then you're just guessing. So are there um, points or what, what, what could someone do at home that would benefit them? You do, you know, the acupuncture. Huh? If, is there something that you give to people on yeah. a regular basis that could be helpful for our listeners? To I really, at home? I really like the point pericardium eight. It's in the center of your palm, right? Not on the back of the palm, but in the, in the front of the palm, right in the center between the index and the thumb. And you slide down and you look middle, at middle finger. right in the right between the middle finger and the index finger in the center of the palm is pericardium eight. The Chinese name is Lao Gong. And like the, the translation of Lao Gong is the palace of weariness. It is the point for joy mm -hmm. to create joy in the heart. It is the point for when we're just emotionally haggard. We've had it. We're worn out. We need a vacation. We need a break from ourselves. I once needled that on a woman named Jody. I was fresh out of school, I should say, and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I needled that point once a week for a year on this wonderful lady named Jody from Upper Arlington, and her brain aneurysm completely dissolved. Wow. And I didn't know that you could do that. And I found in a Japanese text, it controlled the flow of blood in your head. It was a great migraine point. Mm. I didn't know that. Oh. This is the whole reason why I had to read multiple texts to find out what that point actually did. And every time she came in, if I'd touch it, it felt like a bruise. So you could clear it, you could needle it, you could work with it. And when I see people that are just emotionally on the verge, like typical thing is a mom who has an infant and she's just been dealing with this infant all day long and she needs a break and I'll go and, and I'll touch and they'll be like, ah, what is that? So how long should you work on that area? I love when you're, when you're talking about acupressure, there's a rhythm to pressing and releasing. So I press until it feels like a bruise. I hold it for about five seconds and then I release. And there's a rhythm to that. Like you keep pressing and releasing, pressing and releasing until you feel something change. And is there another um, area that you would recommend besides the pericardium aid that you think is really important? Well, what about 
kidney one the bubbling well yeah what do you so think about that area that's the point for emotionally grounding the way you access that is very different than acupressure actually you stand and you lift your toes when you lift your toes there are three little ballast points like like how you have knuckles on your hands think of it underneath your feet your heel like the knuckle underneath your big toe mm -hmm. and underneath your pinky toe as you lift you can feel your weight distribute on that oh sure yeah and then you can feel kidney one kind of hollow out so we also teach the woo walk which teaches how to send energy up the leg through that point and to send energy down because meridians go up and down so how is that going to benefit us working on kidney one well for starters who would, uh, you, who would use that for what reason uh, people that are living in their head hmm. you know that because they want to be more grounded yeah like if well, think of it as polarity if you want to uh you can be too grounded and then you know you'll start retaining edema in the legs and the fluids won't move uh, and the typical one of that is like uh the really low adrenal they're really wide at the base of their body and their upper body is really narrow right like that's that's just not a correct flow of kidney chi uh when our kidneys are flowing and uh jong chuan is open or kidney one is open the fluids in our body flow so you'll needle that point with a uti right somebody who's urinating blood somebody who has cloudy infection in their urine you'll needle that if they have real high blood pressure and are about to have a stroke instead of sending all the energy up into the head you use that point to send it down hmm. makes sense it does make sense when you stand in wu chi before you do tai chi uh when you stand in that meditative posture pericardium eight kidney one and then bai hui at the top of your head those five points must open first coincidentally if someone's having a manic bipolar episode in china all five doctors will needle those points simultaneously oh wow to stop their mania it does work it does work when mm -hmm. my brother would have a very manic episode i would needle all five points and he'd stop and he'd start to calm down or go to sleep uh, it's good to have those tricks in the bag. It's not fun when you have to needle someone's bottom of their foot. Yeah, I'm sure that's, that doesn't feel very good. No, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> but, but you know, I've, I've only had a few spots that you've needled that were really, that hurt. I'm sorry for that, but, <laughs> you know, usually that's a blockage. Huh. Um, when you needle a blockage, you get this burst of electricity, almost like a muscle twinge. But then a couple seconds later, it's gone yeah. and people are relieved. Um, when something is deficient or weak or under-functioning, it feels like a tingling sensation. But when something is blocked, it, it hurts a little. Yeah. Uh, there's no getting around that. Blockage is painful. I have another question here, too. What, um, one thing I wanted to ask is about um, moxa. Mm. What, what, is, what is that about? What does that do? So that's a really interesting topic. The original medicine before needles was to burn mugwort on an acupuncture point. And when you apprentice in Japan, before you learn to needle people, your first year, all you apprentice is learning to do moxa. And most people don't do it, but they need to because it turns around the really stubborn, difficult cases that won't change like uh the really really textbook one that i'll use it for is uh, when the skin feels really really dry like overly dry and you can feel underneath my fingertip i can actually feel the point spinning clockwise or counterclockwise and that spinning's not good so what my teacher said was to make that shut up, you mox it. So what you do is you roll a piece of mugwort in between your thumb and your forefinger, and you keep rolling it until it becomes the size of like a half of a grain of rice or a sesame seed. 
and then you light it with incense on the point and you get this kind of whoosh or you feel this heat if you're reducing you feel a little bit of burn if you're tonifying it feels like the warmth sinks in below the skin and so that's how you would take somebody who had they were a little obese they were cold inside they had hypothyroidism and they had uh, adrenal exhaustion they were wanting to take a nap between three and five and you could go to like kidney six or kidney eight and it'll feel real sticky and you start moxing that and boom like they stop crashing in the middle of the afternoon so are you actually touching the skin when you do that yeah i am and, and i i pinch it i what they call tent it you take the oxygen away and i pinch it right before it hits the skin oh wow and that's weird it's like healing with fire that's an homage to the mythology of artemis because uh, the name is artemis amnesia and that is healing with fire illumination the really cool thing about moxa is if you do it correctly for eight days the blood volume is actually elevated so your white blood cell count goes up great for chemotherapy people right if they're anemic and you mox or at pericardium six their red blood cells go up so you can take somebody who say has leukemia and you see that they have this elevated white cell count and uh, a low red cell count and you can mox at pericardium six and you can needle and reduce spleen six and they level off for like a week and they can go out and mow the yard and they can do projects and not be totally exhausted. So do you get a lot of cancer patients? Because I think cancer is one thing that's very scary to people. And Unfortunately, you know. I do. I mean, you're going to live in central Ohio. Yeah. There's a lot of cancer here, yeah. which is a whole other topic is why is there so much cancer? Do you think there's a lot more here than other cities? More than where I saw in, say, Austin or Santa oh. Fe. It'd be interesting to look at the research and see and see why that is. I think when you have a densely populated area and you have more pollution and then you have uh, farmers that are spraying yeah. instead of doing organic practices, then that's a bad combination. Yeah, but do then have a lot of farms. we do have a lot of that. Uh, plus, we have a lot of weird chemicals in our water here. Water smells weird here. I use reverse osmosis, which I know is dead water, but I'd rather have dead water than water filled up with chemicals, you know, and then I take supplements to get my um, minerals. minerals. Have you ever tried Berkey filters? Um, I haven't. Um, one of my trainers used them a lot, but it, the reverse osmosis is just easy. It is. It's a tank and it has a little spout and you just get your water out of the spout and it's easy. And But, um, you know, I, I do feel like that it had affected my health as far as minerals. And now I'm taking, a, you know, a minerals um, because I've had a lot of problems and I felt like I could never get better and never have energy and feel good. But now that I'm taking all these supplements, I'm feeling much better just from the supplements. And I at a microscopic level, you can see them forming a clot before they form it. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Pretty there's, cool. There's a lot of you know, stuff out there that I, I think in the next 10 years, we're going to see a big shift in, in medicine, because I think a lot of people are not, you know, they're not going to put up with a cookie cutter recipe that this doctor gives in and out, you know, don't sit. Th I went to a doctor, um, Dr. Ackerman. I don't know if you know who, he I know is. who that is. Okay. Yep. So he's in Lima, Ohio now, mm -hmm. and I went up to see him an hour and a half drive, but he sat down and talked to me about my lab tests that I had done two years ago. And, and we, did all new lab tests, but he spent an hour and a half going over each one and telling me why, you know, he goes, did they say anything? I said, they said everything was perfect. Don't worry. You know, you're good. And perfect he went, meaning you're not dying. Right. right. So, so he went through each one. He goes, this is why this is, and you know, th this isn't good. So we got to, you know, check this and, you know, mm. so there's a big difference. That's and, real and medicine. That's, that's, that's the kind of doctors and the people I want to be around, not 
you know, I don't want to go in and just be another person in and out. But again, he was teaching. Yeah, he was teaching. And he right? did. He educated when, when he, he gave me a big report afterwards. And he told me, take this supplement with this, but don't take this one if it has vitamin C in it. And, you know, these are the foods I don't want you to eat. And, you know, so it's all about education. And that's Think about the teachers you've had in your life that got you where you are. Those were very important people. Yeah, yeah. If I don't meet Kuhara Sensei, I'm not doing this. And I'll always be looking for another teacher. Yeah, yeah. But I meet him and it, it resonates and I feel like I'm doing what I was born to do. Which is a really nice thing. Yeah. Because there are so many people that hate their jobs. Yeah, and I agree. I think you were definitely born to do this. Yeah, it's it's very, very fortunate. I remember before I did this, having a corporate job and being a purchasing analyst and just being miserable and thinking there's got to be more to life mm -hmm. than this, than just uh, making sure that I analyze Excel spreadsheets and buy the right uh, paint for boats. And uh, at a very, very critical juncture at 25, I made a choice that a, a life without inspiration was not worth living. And what inspired me and made me feel like it made a difference in my life and would make a difference in the lives of other people was doing acupuncture and studying choices and making different choices. Not that I'm macrobiotic or vegan or extreme, but food, you know, hypocrisy, Hippocrates said, let food be your medicine. Yeah. So. And that, yeah, I, that's a. That's a good one. It's very good. So he was teaching you cause and effect in your blood work. Yeah. You don't hear about doctors no, doing that. Anymore. You don't. And explaining everything you wanted to know, you know, taking his time. And he was teaching classes. Yeah, he was. At Ohio State. He has a book called 120 Days to Better Health. And he teaches uh, from that book, basically. He still he still does, but he's he. This is tells you what kind of doctor was. His first client that when he moved to Lima, his first client, he said, "I will research this every night when I go home, and and on the weekends I will work on this. I will continually yeah. work on it to find out the answer to right. this." You know, so he probably like us. I mean, I love to learn, and and the more I learn, the better. And, you know, I think that's well, there was nobody else to, that was going to fix that. Yeah. Right. Nobody else had that kind of attitude. So he's he's in his probably in his 80s and he's still passionate and he's working and he's helping people. And, you know, it's it's amazing. I want to be like that when you're doing what you were put here to do. Yeah, that's the kind of results. Yeah. Well, I have one other question for you. If there is, is there a book that you have read that's changed your life that the listeners could maybe learn something from or I, you know i i quoted gary zukoff's the seed of the soul earlier and, yeah. and i'm going to stick by that i that book especially had me stop and pause and take a look at uh, god i really remember the quote was temptation was the gracious offering by the universe for a dry run at a negative karmic event and you'll you'll say that to patients or people and they go you guys say that again because <laughs> that's, that's a <laughs> really really big statement that's a really good one <laughs> temptation is the gracious offering by the universe for a dry run at a negative karmic event and it's pretty deep that's very deep is all of his stuff that deep is all that deep oh i don't know if i can read it <laughs> it's really it's one of those books that you'd have to read three or four times before you go oh i get it and he had said that the measure of your soul was the temptation that you were willing to walk away from. If you were tempted to steal 20 bucks off the counter at the Quickie Mart, you're not that very evolved. Tempted to embezzle 20 million from a company, a little different deal. Wow. Um, I've had to constantly remind myself along the way, if somebody offered me something that was a temptation, to realize, oh, this is a test. Because... People will try to own you, and I don't want to be owned by anybody. I like self-employment. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> it's it's really, I wish more people could engage in that. I can remember working for unethical people and just really feeling 
this isn't going anywhere. And I can equally remember working for wonderful ethical people who were inspirational and wonderful. And I've had great teachers along the way. I've been very, very fortunate. And hopefully I'm paying it forward. Uh, I took an apprentice for that very reason. And I couldn't say enough good things about her. I think we, we come to a point in our life where we're supposed to share what we've learned. Right. Because there's another generation behind us. And if they don't have good teachers that have a moral uh, compass or have uh, what I like to call moral courage, then we're in trouble. We need that right now. We need moral courage and we need ethics and we need inspiration. I agree. Well, thank you for being thank on the you. podcast today. It was very interesting. and I try. Ah, I, I don't want to be boring. <laughs> Never. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the Lively Joy podcast. Check out the show notes below with links mentioned in this episode. And please take a moment to subscribe. That helps others find the show. Feel free to share this podcast with your family and friends. And if you'd like, you can also follow us on social media. See the links below. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time with more on living your best life.